but we press on toward the mark of the high calling. I might mention uh, Shirley Heitman in uh, a health problem. Uh, Shirley has had ulcerated feet and ankles and a problem with her veins for, oh, she said over 45 years. And periodically, they get so bad that she starts bleeding, and it's very, very hard to stop. Now, she had not had an episode of that, I think, in a year or two now. But just the other night, uh, she had another difficulty with that and uh, lost quite a lot of blood and is in recuperation now. But uh, a problem of this nature uh, is actually life-threatening if not able to get the blood to stop flowing. So uh, she is in a great deal of pain and distress, always is. Uh, I think it's one of those situations that never stops hurting. Uh, she's always in pain with the splits and the uh, so on in her skin and her, and her feet and ankles. So I would ask you to give some very serious prayer for our sister Shirley. She's such a hard worker and committed and willing and helpful and kind and serving and uh, so many ways is a good example for us. But she's uh, been suffering with this for a long, long time and it would be nice to see her healed. She has been helped at times when anointed and given some intervention, I do believe. We've seen that. But a total healing has not yet occurred, and perhaps those total healings are not too far away, uh, considering many conditions that are occurring within the church and within the world. So I hope it turns around soon, but certainly in the meantime, we can be praying for one another and asking for God's intervention and help. <clears throat> Now, during the feast, we were in a series uh, having identified Sardis as Worldwide Church of God, I think, without doubt, and Laodicea was the scattering of that, and yet there was a remains of Sardis, which is dead and dying, uh, some still alive from Sardis, but it is a dead church at this point, gone. Uh, so that leaves Philadelphia in there, and we've We've not understood, I don't think hardly anyone has, if anyone, just who Philadelphia really is. Uh, we have, nearly every splinter or split off of worldwide thinks they're it and everybody else is laying us in. Uh, so that's one of those situations where we're the only ones and you're not. Uh, my take on that all along has been that God is going to draw a remnant out of the whole church, of what was the church, and that will become Philadelphia. That is the group that will be given an open door when it uh, arises to preach the gospel around the world as a witness, and then the end will come. So that is the fulfillment of Matthew 24:14, and God names the two prophets in Revelation 11 that will do that as his two witnesses against the world. And they are re referred to as the anointed ones, and we tied that together with Zechariah 4:14, which indicates that the Joshuans, Zerubbabel of Haggai and Zechariah, are those same two. 
We tied in uh, the types there uh, from the past of Elijah and John the Baptist with one of them. Uh, We tied in the types of Elisha and Moses as one. And now I want to go to the reference that John was using in Revelation 11 back to the story in Haggai and Zechariah. Now, we've gone through this several times before. It first came out in 96 uh, when this understanding was given of just who this is and what the story would be. So we've been into Haggai and Zechariah several times, but in order to complete this picture of who, what, why, where, when, and how of Philadelphia, we have to finish defining Uh, the leadership, and then, of course, what their job is to do, or jobs, plural, actually. Let's understand the setting here. Uh, The book just preceding uh, Haggai is Zephaniah, which starts out in chapter 1 about God's displeasure with Israel and how he will cause a financial crash to occur, and we're at the very edge of that in the world today as things are very shaky in the whole world economy and especially in this country which is by far deeper in debt than any other country on earth. So it talks about a great crashing in verse 10 and how the gold and the silver will do no good and it is at the time, verse 14, let's get the setting. The great day of the Lord is near, it is near and haste greatly Even the voice of the day of the eternal, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. So this financial crash is one that occurs as a lead up to the events and the day of the Lord. So this is definitely an end time prophecy of of an oncoming financial crash in the near future in this country. And it will affect the whole world because then they will come up with a new world government the beast power of Revelation and Daniel. So he tells us then in chapter 2 to gather yourselves together, uh, O undesirable nation or people. Uh, Who was undesirable? Worldwide Church of God, which had become Laodicean, and they were scattered. So he then tells that which has been undesirable to gather themselves together before the decree of destruction occurs. A little later on, it talks about the Assyrian coming into our land in chapter 2. So it is not only a financial crash, but also an invasion and a captivity that occurs to the nations of Israel, particularly Ephraim first, uh, the United States, who is the great horror revelation that the beast and the false prophet turn on and kill. So we're told that before all this happens, and I might remind Jeremiah 50 says when the Assyrian and the northern army is coming in, that they'll start running and asking, how do I get to Zion? So this gathering is going to occur just ahead of and perhaps just at the start of uh, the invasion of this country. And it, it appears just before the financial crash or during it uh, because they will begin to wake up, not because of the crash and the Assyrians so much as God is going to do some miracles, as we shall see, 
which will show people in the church what they are to do and where they are to go. So he says to gather yourselves, in verse 3, Seek the eternal, all you meek of the earth, which have worked his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be you shall be hid in the day of the eternal's anger. Tie that with Matthew 24 also about fleeing from the abomination of desolation and praying that we be accounted worthy to escape all these things that are coming. <clears throat> so, he talks about Moab and Ammon and Sodom and, and so on, down in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 2. And then the Assyrian, uh, and how he will be even made a desolation too in verse 13. Micah 4 says that God's people who are gathered to Zion will uh, be a threshing machine to destroy the Assyrian army. I'm sure through God, Gideon was, you know, destroyed the Assyrian army, but it wasn't Gideon that did it, it was God. 300 men were not going to take on 100 and, what was it, 40 or 160,000 Assyrians and win without God's hand in there. So the same is here as well. So moving on down, <clears throat> he talks about Zion in verse 14. Uh, singing and shouting and being glad and rejoicing because God uh, comes to be the king in the midst of her. Uh, and verse 16, not to fear and let not your hands be slack. Don't be afraid, as Isaiah 7 and 8 tell us, of the beast power to come, but serve God and work and get his work done. And he will be in the midst of you and he is mighty. So, then he talks about gathering us in verse 20. That's the prelude then to the book of Haggai, that this trouble is coming upon us very quickly. <clears throat> and then Haggai means festive. What God is going to do with the church that has been dejected and miserable, wretched and scattered, is going to be a festive occasion. Uh, he is going to begin to restore and to bless in ways that we have never experienced before. So Haggai's word comes to Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest. Uh, and it says, Thus speaks the eternal of hosts, saying, This people say, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So this will be coming at a time of confusion and frustration. And I guess they'll be saying that this isn't time for a new start. This isn't time to begin something. We're almost at the day of the Lord. Uh, although, as I've pointed before, uh, any member or ex-member or whoever of the greater church of God, if you ask, should we build a temple, they would refer to the spiritual temple and say, of course, we're always supposed to build the temple. We are the temple of the Spirit, so you always should be building the temple. I don't think you'd run into anybody that'd say, no, it's not time to do that. But I do think you'd run into 99% of them, grab a number, who would say it's not time to build a physical temple. And if they think it is, it's to be done by the Jews in the Middle East Jerusalem, not in the true Jerusalem by the people of God. So nobody would say it's time to build the temple. <clears throat> I'm not going to go into this in the great detail, perhaps, that I did in the Minor Prophets series uh, back in 96, 7, 8, through there. But uh, 
we need to pick up the story flow to see what is to be done. Then came the word of the Eternal by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time to dwell in your fine homes and this house lie waste? Consider your ways. Look at how you've been, what you've been doing. You've sown much and bring in little. Now, whether you're speaking physically, in terms of work, or spiritually, we're talking a time here when worldwide is over. It is done and gone, okay? And you have the beginnings of a latter temple or a final work of God in the end time that comes out of the dying remains and the apathy of Laodicea. So what we're talking about here is the period of time that we are currently in, just before the crash, just before the invasion. Uh, This is referring to us right now. So we've worked at it, we're trying, but nothing has happened. Nothing major, nothing you can point out and say, this is God's hand, this is God doing this. Uh, Where do you see that going on? Where God is truly doing something that is of note? Nowhere, nowhere. So it says, you eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. So we have inflation, and your money goes away on a physical level. And then if we try to do anything spiritually, uh, that doesn't really come to anything either. Because God has not yet added his blessing. So he's addressing the two leaders here. And saying, the temple's got to be built. And so far, whatever you've been doing hasn't been accomplishing anything. We'll see that a little later on. It says, you know, has this blossomed? Has this bloomed? Has fruit been produced later in this book? No. Thus says the Eternal of hosts, Consider your ways, go up to the mountain and bring wood and build a house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, says the Eternal. So he's speaking to... The two witnesses here. This is after Worldwide is gone. The former temple has been destroyed. So this is speaking to the new leadership that is to come very shortly now. You looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it, or blow it away. Why, says the Eternal of hosts, because of my house that is waste, and you run every man to his own house. So the church of God is at waste, and you have all these splinter groups, and every man's run into his own splinter, each going to his own spiritual house. And nobody has come together to redo God's house in the way that he wants it done. Now, we have quite a few who have been trying to restore Herbert Armstrong's work and that house, and that is not working. They, they work at it and work at it, but nothing has happened. So we'll find here in just a moment, God is going to gather some from that effort, a remnant of it, to do what he is telling us we need to do. So you look for a lot, verse 9, you want something to happen, and yet nothing really has happened yet. Verse 10, Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. 
And I called for a drought upon the land and upon the mountains and on the corn and the wine and the oil and everything which the ground brings forth and upon men and cattle and upon all the labor of the hands. So God says, you've been in a terrible spiritual condition, the church, and it's scattered and there's a spiritual drought, as Amos says, a famine in the land, not of bread, but of the word of God. So with that scenario, with that picture in mind, it says then, once that has been presented, Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the eternal their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the eternal their God has sent him. And the people did fear before the eternal. So God appoints two leaders, and then he appoints a remnant. Now, how do they get there? Then spoke Haggai, the eternal, uh, eternal's messenger, in the Lord's message to... Uh, my Bible's kind of marked up here, and then the ink bled, and it's hard for me to read what I... around my notes. Uh, a message to the people, anyway, saying, I am with you, says the eternal. And the eternal stirred up the leaders and the remnant... And the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and did work in the house of the eternal of hosts, their God. So God is going to stir up a remnant people to come to the leadership and then build the temple of God. And it says that's in the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, uh, second year of Darius. Now this started out six day first month, then this moves to the sixth month, twenty-fourth day, a short period of time. Then it skips to the seventh month, 21st day. That was this year, the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And the word came uh, to Haggai again, and he said, Speak now to Zerubbabel and to Joshua and to the residue, a remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? How many who are part of the church today, saw worldwide when it was at its best. Just a very few, and most of them pretty old. In my own assessment, and this is only my opinion, I'm like, I could be wrong, but I felt that the, the strongest spiritually that worldwide ever came to be was probably in the 50s and 60s. And it began to decline through the uh, latter part of the 60s, and then started coming apart with rebellions and so on in the 70s, and Herbert Armstrong died in the 80s, and it was all downhill from there. So it almost has to be people who had some awareness of it, I think, back that far back. I was a child at that time, or as a young man in the 60s, but uh, anybody who was an adult at the height of that would be pretty old today. So he says, who's left? Not very many, apparently, who saw it when it was at its best and can compare it when the latter temple is done. So we've got a few more years, not very many, but a few more, to accomplish that. So you look into the future, another two, three, four years, and some of those old men are getting even older, and some of them are going to die in the meantime. So there's not going to be too many left. But it does show that this end-time prophecy 
is not about Herod's or Solomon's temple. It's about the temple built in the end time, and it destroyed, and another one built afterward. I might remind us that we both had a house built in the name or for God in Pasadena, as well as a spiritual entity. So there was a physical building there, as well as a spiritual building. So that was fulfilled in part already. And that gives me more belief that there is also a physical temple to be built at the end. And we'll see that there's gold and silver involved. There was a little bit of silver, or especially gold decoration in the auditorium in Pasadena. Not a great deal. But in the latter one, I feel that there will be a great deal of gold and the original temple vessels restored as well. So, there will be some who were able to see and they'll say there's no comparison. It's just like there is nothing to compare. So he says, Be strong, Zerubbabel, and the Eternal. And be strong, Joshua, the son of Josedek. Be strong, all you people of the land, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. So if there is a physical temple, it has to far outshine that auditorium that was in Pasadena. It has to compare also as nothing. And that's one of the most beautiful buildings I ever walked in. I mean, it was fine. But this one has to be much better, physically and spiritually. We'll see that in a moment. Uh, Verse 5, According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Mitzrayim, so my spirit remains among you, fear you not. They had fear coming out of Mitzrayim. They knew the Pharaoh was behind them, and they saw the Red Sea in front of them, and they were delivered. And then they feared that they were going to die of thirst and starvation, and they didn't. So he tells us, don't you fear. Isaiah 8, he tells, don't fear the new world order, fear me. So this is a time, we're leading up to the day of the Lord, and a time of great fear in the world. But those who will obey God are told, don't fear, but work. Get busy. Verse 6, For thus says the Eternal of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Eternal of hosts. So even as Zephaniah says, just before the day of the Lord, the financial crash, Uh, He tells us here that the temple is to be built at a time when God is about to shake the whole earth. So this is indeed, again, an end-time prophecy. It'll say it again in the last verse of this book. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Eternal of hosts. So there's going to be silver and there's going to be gold involved. Now that may be spiritual silver and gold or righteousness tried in a certain amount of fire and difficulty, not the great tribulation, but tested and tried to be true before God will use the remnant to build. But I think it is also physical because of the temple vessels and so on, and it must outshine the auditorium in Pasadena. Verse 9, The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. So he calls it the latter and the former. Uh, So former would have to be Herbert Armstrong and that which was built before 
that all men can remember, and the latter which comes under the two witnesses and the remnant together. It'll be greater. And in this place will I give peace, says the Eternal of hosts. There's never truly been peace. There was a certain amount in worldwide for a certain amount of time. But it wasn't long until rebellion started with this minister and that one and then more and, and people leaving and then calling Herbert Armstrong all kinds of things. And it just began to come apart. So he says in the latter one, he will bring peace. Now, he skips ahead here in verse 10 to the 4 and 20th day of the ninth month. But I want to pause in Haggai and flip the page to Zechariah. Uh, and we'll have an introduction here of Zechariah because it comes right in between the 721 and the 924 of Haggai. Uh, Zechariah started writing in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, same year. So right in the middle of the book of Haggai, Zechariah starts his message. The first six verses were pronounced during that period of time between 721 and 924. The eighth month, uh, the eighth month begins this coming week, by the way, uh, of, uh, if, we, if we did the calendar right this year, and I think we did. The eighth month is only, I think it starts, what, Wednesday or Thursday, as I recall. I'm not sure of the exact day of the week. But very close to what we're reading here. Anyway, it says, The Eternal has been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say you to them, Thus says the Eternal of hosts, Turn you to me. And that is a message that we find throughout the prophecies. Turn to God. Turn with your whole heart. With all your mind, soul, and being, and so on. Uh, and I will turn to you, says the Eternal of hosts. So again, we're speaking of the end time when he, in many places, says he's turned his face from us, and he will turn it back to us if we will turn to him, just as Jeremiah tells us. And then he gives a warning, or a, uh, an instruction, Be not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus says the Eternal of hosts, Turn you now from your evil ways and from your evil doings, but they did not hear nor hearken to me, says the Eternal. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? said, no. Uh, this we referring to the past and says, don't repeat that which has been before. Now, what is he warning of here? We're in the middle of the book of Haggai, right? When he raised up Zerubbabel and Joshua to lead the building of the latter temple with the remnant that he will stir to come. And there are only two prophets mentioned in the end time. He calls uh, the two, or Zerubbabel and Joshua, these two prophets in Re Revelation 11. So the, the warning he is giving here is don't be like your fathers, but when I send two prophets at the end time, do not stone them. Don't do as has been done in the past. So, apparently, right here at the end, when those two prophets begin to arise, there will be those who would stone them, as has been done in the past. That's always the case, and that's why this warning, right in the middle of the book of Haggai. Your fathers, where are they? The prophets, do they live forever? Verse 6, 
But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? He says, I told you before to listen to the prophets, and you didn't do it, and you stoned them. Well, didn't what they told you take hold on you? Weren't you taken into captivity? Weren't you decimated? Isn't this your history? He's saying, don't do that again. And they returned and said, like is the Lord of hosts thought to do to us, according to our ways and according to our doings, so has he dealt with us. So the message that comes to you from the prophets here in the end, the prophecies of the Bible as set forth, uh, we are to listen to and not deny and not stone those who bring the message. Because they're the only two that the end time talks about, so that's the only ones it can be referring to. Now let's go back to Haggai, because that's the introduction of Zechariah, and it, it moves on to the 11th month there, so we'll pick it up later. But I wanted to interject that exactly where God put it uh, in the middle of this chapter, or somewhere right in here before verse 10, between verse 1 and verse 9. So Haggai 2, verse 10 then, in the 24th day of the ninth month, uh, Haggai was spoken to again. Verse 11, Thus says the Eternal of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law. Now one of the two witnesses is referred to as Moses, Sarah and Malachi 4, uh, and the law of God, of Moses, is brought up here. Now what subject comes up? If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil, or any food, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. So a distinction is being made here to the people who are called out, stirred up, to build a latter temple, that an issue of clean and unclean has to be resolved. Isaiah 52, about verse, what, 9-10, says, Be you clean that bear the vessels of the eternal. So, those who build the latter temple have to be clean. Then answered Haggai, verse 14, and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Eternal, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. So God was not pleased with what was, and he is not entirely pleased with what is about to be, apparently, and says that a distinction has to be made. If we are to be candidates to build a ladder temple, and to bear God's vessels, we need to be sure we're clean. So he says in verse 15, And now I pray you, consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the eternal. So he's referring to the time at the end of worldwide when things were coming apart and before a foundation was laid for the latter temple. And he says, since those days were, when one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. 
when one came to the press fat for to dry out fifty, uh, out of the press there were but twenty. I smote you with blasting, with mildew, with hail, and all the labors of your hands, and yet you turn not to me, says the Eternal. So, through all that has occurred in the last thirty years in the worldwide Church of God and its uh, daughters, God says nothing has been what it ought to be. So from the time that the spiritual famine started, and he says, then, uh, consider now, verse 18, from this day and upward, forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. So, Herbert Armstrong laid the foundation of the former temple, and that grew and was finished and completed, and then was knocked down. Uh, not only are the people scattered and many back in Babylon and spiritually dead and still uh, in misery and lack of production, but even the physical plant has been torn apart, some of the buildings knocked down, different owners, it isn't what it was at all. So now, uh, he says, consider before the foundation, I think, of the latter temple was laid here. Uh, I have my ideas about when that foundation began, but nothing has happened since much. And then he asks the question, since the foundation was laid, is the seed yet in the barn? <laughs> you know, did it sprout? Did it produce a crop? Has anything happened yet? Uh, as yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree has not brought forth. From this day will I bless you. So he says, going back to before the foundation was laid, and then apparently it was laid at some point uh, by Zerubbabel. Uh, couldn't be anybody else because he says, your hands have started the foundation. Your hands will finish it in chapter 4 of Zechariah, as we'll get to. But to refer back here, this has to be referring to he who would lay the foundation of the temple. Let me go back and read that to you right quick. Uh, verse 9 of chapter 4. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands also shall finish it. So whoever Zerubbabel is, he's the one who laid the foundation. But since that foundation was laid, nothing has happened. No crop has been produced. Nothing's going on. But he says... From the ninth and the twenty-fourth and forward, God would begin to bless and the crops would begin to produce. Now there's the reason that I've been watching 924 uh, through these last years, each year to see if, you know, is it time for the seed to sprout? Is it time for God's blessings to come? Um, this year, it happens to fall on January 4th. And I believe the foundation of the latter temple was also late in January, the beginning of the month. And uh, the 9th and 24th comes up. So January 4th, I'm going to be watching pretty carefully. And one reason I am watching more carefully, I think, this year is that the storm clouds are building very rapidly in the world. And the economic situation in the world is teetering on absolute collapse. 
And now we are in a little proxy war in the middle of Syria and the Middle East, running round and round with the Assyrian, the Russians and uh, their allies, the Chinese and so on. And I saw pictures this morning of Chinese vessels being docked in South Florida. Pictures of them right at the dock. And they're having a big party down there, heralding their arrival. And at the same time, we're throwing words at each other in the South China Sea about those little islands they've built. So, uh, there's all kinds of uh, plot that is beginning to thicken. So, I'm watching it more carefully now uh, than I have in past years, simply because it appears more ominous. But the temple was, the foundation of the temple was laid at some point, and nothing has occurred of note since. But he says, from that date, uh, it would begin to produce. From that day will I bless you. <clears throat> then in verse 20, again, the word of the Eternal came to Haggai in the 24th day of the month, same day. Speak to Zerubbabel, to Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth. So he reiterates that building where fruit will be produced on the 9th and 24th. He speaks again on that same day. And says to Zerubbabel that I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. Overthrow the chariots and those that ride them in. The horses, the riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. So he's speaking again of end time uh, horror. Uh, in that day, says the eternal of hosts, Will I take you, O Zerubbabel, you as a signet, for I have chosen you, says the Eternal of hosts. So Zerubbabel, at that point, is going to be made a signet to the nations, a banner, a flag, uh, one who bears the name of God as a, the leading witness of God. So that ties in with Revelation 11 very closely, where uh, a witness is to be made against the whole world, and then the end will come. So the two witnesses of, of the Revelation are the same as Zerubbabel and Joshua here. And this is all having to do with the very end of this age and the temple that is about to be built. That makes the ninth day of the 24th month just ahead uh, something to watch. This is already nearly the middle of November and uh, January 4th isn't very far off. Now, let's pick it up in Zechariah 1, verse 7. We've already covered the first uh, six verses and the warning that is given there, that just as God is beginning to start working, uh, let's be careful about throwing rocks at this time, as has been done in the past. Verse 7, upon the 24th day of the 11th month. So here again it's the 24th. That keeps coming up. Uh, 24th of the 6th, the 24th of the 9th, and now the 24th of the 11th month, which would put it into March uh, sometime this coming year, if this is the year that this is talking about. I'm not saying it is, I'm just, it's the year that's just before us, and this is the time we see the leaves coming on the trees, and I think it's a good time to be very, very watchful, put it that way. So, about March of this year, 
uh, coming year, if we label it this year, let's do it just for fun and games, because it could be it. <clears throat> so the word came again to Zechariah, and he saw by night a man riding on a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom, and behind them were red horses speckled in white. So the myrtle trees probably represent the church, uh, and then you have these horses, a red horse and, uh, and a speckled and white, which indicate trouble, dis- destruction, difficulty, and so on, uh, just as they do in the book of Revelation and later on in chapter 6 of Zechariah and so on. So, trouble from within. And I said, what do these be? What are they? Verse 9. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Eternal has sent <clears throat> to walk to and fro through the earth. Uh, during this time. And they answered the angel of the eternal that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sits still and is at rest. Now, if this is referring to the church worldwide, uh, it has been scattered uh, and nothing is happening. And the word, the world is, it's, it's almost like we're in the eye of the hurricane uh, in both the church and in the situation in the world around us. We've had trouble. Uh, we have wars and rumors of wars. And yet World War III hasn't broken out. Uh, so it may refer both to the church and to the world here. But the focus will be on the church. Verse 12. Then the angel of the eternal answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, against whom you have had indignation these threescore and ten years? So here we have seventy years. Uh, In ancient history, of course, you had Jerusalem destroyed, and they went into captivity in Babylon for seventy years, and then were released to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild. Now, the church of God has been a captive within Babylon, which is depicted more by this nation than any other, for a period of time. Uh, The church was actually organized in 1933 when it began uh, to exist within Babylon and had the effects of Babylon all around it. If we came into the church Back in those years from 33 to 2003, uh, we came into a situation where we were trying to get out of Babylon. We were still living in the middle of it and having to deal with it. Now, if you take 70 years and add to 1933, you come to 2003. Now, we should see God in our lives. We should be looking for God in our lives. And... I present this as something that occurred historically recently, and I think that it may have some bearing on this, and that is that we bought a property here, this field, uh, put the money down December 7th of 2002, but it wasn't until the third week in January that we had it laid out enough that we could divide the property up into acre pieces, and each person could take their land, within the land, the promised land, 
the original promised land here in uh, southern Utah and northern Arizona. So God allowed his people to come out of Babylon and have their own place within the original promised land. Now, he later expanded the promised land like he said he would to include the whole uh, nation and even Canada, for pretty much the whole continent for that matter, till you get down to Mexico. So Israel took over North America, essentially. And then we were allowed, part of the church, to come back to that promised land, understanding where it was, knowing where we were going. We didn't know up until almost that time. He told Abraham to go and find a place that you know not. And we also had to be informed where to go and were and came here. Now, others might interpret this a different way, but that's okay. This is the way I see it. So after 70 years, we were allowed to come to the original promised land. Um, So he says, how long are you going to be indignant? And the eternal answered uh, the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. So at the end of 70 years... There would be a change, that God would have good and comfortable words to say, okay? So the angel that communed with me said to me, Cry you, saying, Thus says the Eternal of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. We know from Hebrews 12, 22 and 23 that Zion and Jerusalem are types of spiritual Israel, the church. So he says he's very, very jealous of his people that he's called out. What are they to be? The bride of Christ. The 144,000 who are chosen out of the many called through the ages. So he's very, very jealous of those people. Now, if what I'm saying is so, we were allowed to come back into the promised land and take hold of the land and come at least partially out of Babylon in 03, in January. So what is spoken of hereafter is after that, if that be truly the case, okay? So he spoke good and comfortable words at the end of the 70 years, saying uh, things will get better. Then he said, and I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. For I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. So now, if we're on this side of the coming into the land, then he becomes sorely displeased with someone, or someones. Now, he was a little displeased, perhaps, with what was going on, but then he becomes sorely displeased. Let's read on. Because some caused the mild unpleasantness in God's mouth to become worse. Therefore, thus says the Eternal, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, says the Eternal of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. So he says, there's some displeasure, but I'm still going to do what I said I would do. Okay? So he says, cry yet. I'm going to bless them, I'm going to take care of it, but cry yet, saying, 
Thus says the Eternal of hosts, My cities through prosperity, or good, shall yet be spread abroad. And the Eternal shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. Now, do we have a delay here, like Haggai was talking about, where a foundation was laid, and then nothing happened for a period of time, and God became displeased, and yet he says, this is yet still, in spite of everything, going to happen. Okay? Verse 18, Then lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. Now in the Bible, four horns represent uh, a certain uh, attitude when it comes to governments uh, and authorities he often uses mountains or hills, big governments, little governments. But when you have those within a government, within a situation, that have horns, a horn is represented as something that is aggressive, something that stabs, something that pokes, something that can cause damage, to gore, in other words, like a bull with horns. So he says, even though he is yet going to comfort and strengthen, uh, four horns come up. And I said to the angel to talk with me, what be these? What, what, what are these horns? And he answered me, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. So with what God is doing, there are those who come to scatter. Uh, then he showed me four carpenters. No, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, these are the horns which have scattered. And the Eternal showed me four carpenters, builders, uh, those who would fix. Uh, these four carpenters then said, I what come these to do? So we had four who were horns to scatter. Then we have four who are to build. He spoke to saying, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. So whatever was done by those four was tragic and bad enough with their goring that it was shameful. No one could really lift their head. They say, great destruction, I guess you'd have to say. But these, the carpenters, are come to fray them to cast out the horns of the Gentiles, which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah to scatter it. Judah being the church, and we're talking here about the beginnings of the latter temple. So somewhere uh, there will be four who seek to destroy, to divide, to scatter, and then there will be four who are there to build, to cast out the horns of those who gore and, and uh, push with horns. So this is something that will occur in the beginnings of the Philadelphia Church of God. Chapter 2. I lifted up my eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Now this is reminiscent of, of uh, Revelation 11, 1, where it says to measure the temple, the church, the altar, the ministry, and the people who worship therein. So here you have the same thing. He says, I'm yet going to build Jerusalem and Judah back. There's going to be some trouble first, but there will be four who are there to rebuild. 
And then the measuring line is introduced right thereafter. Then said I, where, where, do, where do you go? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth, what is the length, uh, what's left after the scattering and the division just above. Uh, and behold, the angel that talked with me went forth, and another, and another angel went out to meet him. Verse 4, And he said to him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. So even when it looks very grim, and no one can raise their head uh, because of the shame, the destruction, and so on that's caused up at the end of chapter 1, uh, he says, run, tell a young man that this is going to happen. Now, he doesn't say what the young man's role in this would be. It just says, go tell some young man that this is going to happen regardless of what has occurred. For I, says the Eternal, will be to her a wall of fire round about and will be the glory in the midst of her. So God is going to begin building and He will be there to take care, to protect, to guide, to lead. And then he says in verse 6, Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, says the Eternal. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven, says the Eternal. So after trouble and the four horns and the four carpenters, uh, then we measure what is left. And then God says he will begin to bless and to come from uh, the four corners of the earth. So this would be the remnant of Haggai beginning to come together. And what does he say? Verse 7. Deliver yourself, O Zion, that dwell with the daughter of Babylon. So he's speaking to the church that is within Babylon and says to deliver yourself. The RSV says flee to Zion, is the way they translate it. For thus says the Eternal of hosts, after the, after the glory has he sent me to the nations which spoiled you, for he that touches you touches the apple of his eye. So the remnant that he draws together to build his latter temple are called here the apple of God's eye. And don't you bother God's apple. That's the one he has his eye on. For behold, I will shake my hand upon them, and they shall be a spoil to their servants, and you shall know that the Eternal of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. For lo, I uh, come, and I will dwell in the midst of you, says the Eternal. So, just as things start beginning to really happen, remember 924 is when he says, From this day will I bless you, and you'll begin to finally produce fruit. Now, that may be a message that was delivered. I don't know that that's the exact day. The way it's written would make you tend to believe that, but uh, that's the day that message was given. So is it the day that the blessing actually starts, or will it be at another time? We shall see. <clears throat> Very well could be. Anyway, God says He will come and dwell in Zion with her. And many nations shall be joined to the Eternal in that day. Nations could be people, uh, those he stirs to come. The remnant of the many called under Herbert Armstrong will come to build the latter temple. And shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you, and you shall know that the Eternal of hosts has sent me to you. Uh, and the Eternal shall inherit Judah his portion. 
10% is his portion. That's why tithing is so very, very important for us to understand. <coughs> it's, what it, it's why he mentions it in Malachi 3 as being a very, very important thing because that's how he identifies his people is a tenth. So he will have his portion, not in this case of money, but a remnant or a 10% of the people. So the tithe that we give represents the holy people of God. That's why tithing is so important today. <coughs> Excuse me. So he will inherit his portion in the Holy Land and shall choose Jerusalem again. So Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt. Isaiah 58 talks about how the waste cities will be rebuilt. And uh, again, in her own place, it says in, toward the end of this book, <coughs> and it'll be in Zion and Jerusalem, the original ones. So he says, Be silent, O all flesh, before the Eternal, for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. So this is coming at the exact time that Christ arises to do his end-time work, his mighty work. Uh, so it is definitely right at the end, the beginning of the remnant church, and a time when Zechariah, I mean Zechariah, Zerubbabel and Joshua will soon appear because it's showing what is happening right now before our very eyes. Well, it's about time to quit, so I'm going to stop right there and uh, hopefully carry on next week.